This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. All right, you may have a seat and open up to Acts chapter 3 and 4. We'll be working in, in the Acts story today. Um, it's a story where we see Peter and John exercising supernatural boldness uh, and, and confidence in the message that they're proclaiming before the, the people of Israel and, and even before persecution in the face of the authorities. When I was a little boy, like ages six, seven, around there, I, I also was very confident, but with a different kind of confidence. Uh, there's one story I remember being in church, and they had the children's message where the kids all come down front, and it's more for the entertainment of the adults than the edification of the children. And, and the lady teaching asked if we were sinners, and if we'd ever done anything wrong, raise your hand. And all the other kids' hands went up, and I just sat there. I was like, well, I'm not sure. Also, I know what she's trying to do, and I'm not going for it. I'm just, I'm not raising my hand. So I didn't raise my hand. About that same time, I went to my mother, and I declared to her, you know, Mom, I know all things. <laughs> now, just so you know, it was honestly derived because I, I, one day I was wondering, how much is there to know? And I started wondering after that, how much of that do I know? And I thought to answer this question, I would try to think of all the things I didn't yet know. And I couldn't think of anything that I didn't know. I said, I tried. And I said, well, what do you know? I must know everything there is to know, I declared this to her. Uh, poor mom, it was also about the same time that I lent $3 to my brother, and he gave me $1.50 back. And I was convinced that he owed me $2.50, and mom was trying to explain, no, it's just $1.50. And I said, well, look, mom, I know that 3 minus 2 is 1, and 3 minus 1 is 2. So if he gave me $1.50, he owes me $2.50. And even after she took out coins and money and showed me, I was sitting there thinking, I'm not so sure. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Well, Peter and John have a different kind of confidence. Obviously, it's not a confidence in themselves. Their confidence is in the power and the goodness of the message that they are proclaiming. Their confidence is in the power and the goodness of Jesus himself. And I believe that Jesus is calling us likewise to grow in boldness in our gospel witness, in our witness to the world, in our confidence of the power and the goodness of the message that he has given us to bring to the world. Confidence in the power and the goodness of Jesus himself, of whom we are ambassadors. Now, as soon as I say this, I know that some of you are immediately going to get nervous. Oh, no, what's coming? Is he just going to tell me all the things that I'm not doing? I, I haven't been bold enough in my witness. Am I going to ask you now to go do something that would be really uncomfortable and awkward and, and force or manipulate you and the shame that you already feel about not being more bold for Jesus? You're just going to walk away with that shame just increased. Well, no, I'm not going to do that for a few reasons. First, I like you, and I don't want to put shame on you. I know many of you, and I know that you are seeking to live faithful lives, that many of you are beautiful Christians, just simply seeking to be faithful. But also, second, I, I know that shame is not effective. Shame and, and pressure, that's not going to motivate you. Hope and joy and the belief that what we're saying is true, that's what's going to motivate you to be bold in your witness. And third, I'm not going to try to shame you because... I also feel some shame myself around not being more bold for Jesus in my personal life. So in one regard, we're all in the same boat. I wish I were more bold for Jesus in my personal life. 
Now, I like you, but that doesn't mean I'm never going to challenge you. So I'm also going to challenge you, because I'm feeling challenged by the Lord also to say, all right, it's true that I wish I had more boldness, and so that's acknowledging there's a lack but it's also acknowledging there is a desire for that boldness, that I'm not content to keep living as I have been living. I want to grow in my boldness as I witness about Jesus to the people around me. And all that I need from you this morning is, do you also desire that? Do you also desire to grow in your boldness? And is that something that together we can seek, something together we can desire, and above all, something we can ask God to give us? and see what he does from there. So let's do that. Because yes, we see Peter and John, a boldness. Look at verse 13. Now when they, the authorities, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And then if you bump over to verse 29, which we, we didn't read, now they're back with the believers and they've reported all that had happened and rather than pray, oh God, make the persecution go away, look what they pray for. Verse 29, and now, O Lord, look upon their threats, the persecution coming our way. Grant to us, your servants, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And at the end, verse 31, the Holy Spirit falls. The second Pentecost, the place is shaken. And it says they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. So three times that word boldness is emphasized. That the early Christians had a boldness in witnessing about Jesus and the resurrection. And God wants the same for us. He wants us to be likewise filled with the Holy Spirit, confident, not in ourselves, but confident in the power and the goodness of the message we bring, confident in the power and the goodness of Jesus whom we represent. Now, to know more about their confidence and what's going on here, there's an earlier part to the story, so let's, let's back up and get the context here. In chapter 3, we see Peter and John going up to the temple. And as they're going in, just for the normal uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon prayers, they see a lame beggar, and they look at him, and they say, look at us. And he expects money from them, but Peter says, I do not have silver. I do not have gold. But what I have, I give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise. And the man gets up on his feet. He walks, he's healed, and the commotion... Uh, brings now a whole crowd around Peter and John, and they're in this place called Solomon's Portico in the temple. And everybody recognizes the lame beggar who's now healed and jumping and praising God for what has happened. And as the crowd gathers around, Peter sees, okay, this is an opportunity to be bold and to proclaim the message. And so now as we turn to chapter 3 and verse 15, we'll see that, Jesus, that Peter is proclaiming the message Jesus gave him to proclaim. So before we look at this, recall... In the Luke passage that was read for us, that Margie read, Jesus shows up on the night of the resurrection, and he does a few things. First, he opens their mind to understand how it is that in all of the Hebrew Scriptures, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, they all point to him and to his suffering and his death. And he says, so this is the message. You're to proclaim my cross my suffering, you're to proclaim also my resurrection. And then what else did he say? And that repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in all the earth. You are witnesses of these things. So that was, is the message that Jesus imparted to them. Look what Peter does. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. Peter's talking to the crowd. He says, you killed the author of life. 
So he's proclaiming Jesus both as the author of life, but also that he was killed, he was crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Now he's proclaiming the resurrection. To this, we are witnesses. He's recognizing what Jesus had said is true. We saw it with our own eyes. In that sense, we're witnesses. But also now we're testifying it. We're witnessing to it. So Peter is just simply doing what Jesus told him to do. Yes, there's a boldness and a confidence, but he's also just doing what Jesus had told him to do. We bump down to verse 19 of of chapter 3. And Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So now he's calling them to repentance, and he's proclaiming a forgiveness for the sins. Again, that's what Jesus said. Tell them about the cross, Jesus said. Tell them about the resurrection. Invite them to turn from their wickedness, to repent, and let them know they will be forgiven. And Peter is doing just that. Also, if you were to study the message in full, verses 16 through 26, no less than five times does Peter say, the prophets have said, or the prophets have said, or he alludes to the prophets. So he's also doing what Jesus did for him. Jesus opened his mind to understand the Hebrew Scriptures and to point to himself. And now Peter is doing the same thing. He's drawing on the prophets to point to Jesus, declaring the cross, the resurrection, inviting the people to repent from their sins and receive forgiveness. Now look at chapter 4. As this is happening, in the middle of this, as they were speaking, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, they came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So normally when we think about sharing our faith or, or proclaiming the gospel, usually we go straight to We talk about the cross, we talk about sin, we talk about forgiveness, which, as I was just saying, and as Jesus said, that is an essential part of it. There's no gospel if you're not talking about sin and the brokenness of the world and the need for healing and the need for forgiveness and how it comes by the cross. But also notice, it's not just the cross, but also what? The resurrection. And notice, too, this. It's proclaiming in Jesus... The resurrection from the dead. Now, looking at that, we may not recognize what exactly is happening, but when he says the resurrection from the dead, he's not simply talking about Jesus' own coming back to life. They are proclaiming that, but along with that, he's proclaiming that creedal truth that we proclaim at the end of the Nicene Creed. We believe in the resurrection of the dead, that all who are in Jesus will rise again when he comes at the last day. As Jesus said, because I live you also shall live. So Peter and John are not only proclaiming Jesus was raised from the dead, which on its own would be nice and a wonderful miracle and all of that, but apart from our own resurrection, there's no hope for us. There's no gospel. But instead, it's along with the resurrection of Jesus, you too also will be raised from your graves if you trust in him. Just two weeks ago at our Easter Sunday services, and I just only heard about this yesterday, There were three separate accounts of this ministry being received by folks who were there. The resurrection of the dead and a deeper, profounder understanding of this truth. So as Steve was proclaiming that Jesus was raised from the dead, we had people realizing in a deeper way, I also will be raised from the dead. So one person who was there said, as Steve said, Jesus was raised from the dead, I just knew 
in a deeper way than I'd ever known it before. I just knew, like I could see it, like it was immediate, it was close at hand. I am going to rise from the dead someday. Someone else was there thinking about a loved one who had been lost, and the resurrection of the dead became real and immediate and profound, and she said, I was thinking, I will see my daughter again. It's going to be. And the resurrection of the dead is part of our witness that because I live, Jesus said, you also shall live. Now as we look forward, verse 5 and 6, so Peter and John were jailed, thrown in prison. The next day the rulers and the elders and the scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. That's interesting. A familiar cast of characters, isn't it? Something like two to three months prior to this, not long before. These same people are the ones who were putting Jesus on trial. And it was in the house of Caiaphas, in his courtyard, that Peter, pretending to be a bystander, denied Jesus. And now look at uh, the end of verse 13. This is so beautifully redemptive. Look what it says. They're recognizing the boldness of Peter and John, and it says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's what had happened to Peter in the courtyard of Caiaphas. They had recognized, wait a minute, aren't you one of the disciples? Weren't you with Jesus? And what did he do then? He denied it. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know the man, he said. And now, scarcely two or three months later, same thing. They're recognizing, hey, you were with Jesus. You were one of his disciples. And rather than cowering in fear with confidence and command of the whole room, he declares with boldness, yes, I have been with Jesus. I've seen him with my own eyes alive. And I declare to you, look what he declares. This is bold right here, verse 8. Now Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this has been, he has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, that is bold, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, he, he holds nothing back. He is so bold. Rejected by you, the builders, but which has now become the cornerstone, and now there is salvation in no one else. It is the name of Jesus given under heaven by which we may be saved. And they recognize his boldness. And they say, what, what do we do? Because the man is standing here healed, but we can't, we can't argue against that healing. So they, they whip and they beat Peter and John. They tell them, teach no more in the name of Jesus. And they famously say, judge for yourselves if we are to obey God or men. And we cannot help but speak to what we have seen and heard. And then they go back to the believers and pray that beautiful prayer at the end. They worship God and they say, oh, Lord, we're not asking you to take away the persecution. Give us rather boldness to stand in the day of persecution while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. 
They were confident not in themselves, but they were confident in the power and the goodness of the message that they had been given to proclaim. They were confident in the power and the goodness of Jesus, whom they were representing. And the question for us this morning is, is are you? Are you confident? Are you bold? Or do you at least desire to be? Do you desire to have more boldness and that confidence? Now, for some of you this morning, it's not for timidity that you, you lack boldness in witnessing for Jesus. It's actually for heaviness. Watching the news can always be a heavy thing, but in the last few weeks, it's been especially heavy. And maybe you're here this morning, and you are so weighed down by the brokenness and the sadness of the world around you that you don't have the energy to proclaim a message of hope. And in fact, for some of you, there's a voice that says, and you shouldn't. How dare you have hope and proclaim hope when there is so much suffering and sadness in the world? And let me just say that that voice is the voice of the enemy. And he's putting before you a false choice, a false choice that we must either identify and acknowledge the sin and the brokenness of the world, the hurt, the violence, the evil and the suffering, that we must either acknowledge that, which how could we not, or we can proclaim a message of hope, be a people of hope, and be witnesses of hope. But you can't be both. That is a lie, and it's a false choice. Instead, we say, no, in fact, hope is not only not ignoring the suffering, but the hope in the message about Jesus' cross and resurrection is a message that we bring right into the suffering that Jesus took on himself all suffering in order to put an end to suffering. That is our message. It is relevant here more than anywhere else. And if that is something you're wrestling with, if that voice of how dare you have hope, how dare you proclaim hope, let me just ask you this question, just honest to yourself. Do you believe that Jesus has good news for those who are suffering and those for whom right now your heart is weighted down? Think of whoever, fill in the blank, whoever it might be, and ask yourself this question. Do I believe Jesus has good news for them? Jesus has power for them. Jesus has hope for them. I believe he does. Yes, the reasons for despair in the world around us, they run deep, don't they? And therefore, the reasons for hope and joy, they must run deeper still. But in the resurrection of the dead, in our message that we proclaim, that reason for hope does indeed run deeper than the reasons for despair. Because in the resurrection from the dead, we're given power and faith to see through the tribulation, not around it or ignoring it, but to see through it and to see through the suffering to the other side, to hold fast to that promise from Jesus, because I live, you also shall live. The resurrection of the dead helps us to believe that in a hundred years or a thousand years, I don't know when, but it's only a matter of time that I will be standing on the green grass of my own grave, feeling that fresh turf between my resurrected toes. And maybe you and I will be buried somewhere close by, and I'll look over and I'll see you. 
and you'll see me and we'll recognize one another. We'll say, hey, here we are. This is it, the first day of the ages of all ages. What was once for us only faith, now we're experiencing in reality. Here it is. Can you believe it? And like the disciples who disbelieved for joy, too good to be true, will say, can we believe this? Do you believe that it's only a matter of time before that will happen? Let's all be buried in the same cemetery so we can rejoice and remember this sermon, all right? Hey, remember when Father Brett talked about it? Hey, where he is. But our message is a message of hope. Death is not the end. And a kingdom is coming in which all those reasons for despair shall be no more, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Besides all of this, as Christians, we're not only a people of hope, we're also a people of love. And we are taught that when we encounter suffering in the world, we respond with more than just talk. We're told to do whatever is in our power, whatever lies upon us to alleviate the suffering of the world, and especially of the suffering person right in front of us. That's what we're called to do. And that's what Peter and John did. They saw a suffering man right in front of them, and by the impulse of the Holy Spirit, Peter said, Jesus has something for this man today. Jesus has hope for this man today. God is calling us to more boldness in our witness, being filled with the Holy Spirit to have confidence in the power and the goodness of our message, to have confidence in the power and the goodness of the name of Jesus. One thing I've been thinking about as I've been preparing for the sermon to help us in our boldness is a concept that I want to call micro-boldness which at first may seem like a contradiction in terms. And at first you were excited because you thought I was going to talk about microbreweries, and you thought, now that's the kind of evangelism I can get behind. <laughs> no, micro-boldness. Because I don't know about you, but when I think about being more bold for Jesus, for whatever reason, my mind usually jumps to some far-out, exaggerated image, like I'm standing on a street corner preaching and yelling at people as they walk by, which maybe some people are called to that. But I recognize as soon as I imagine that, I'm not called to that. And even rightly, I don't think God wants me to do that. But then what happens is then I just kind of dismiss or try not to think about being more bold in my witness, and whatever shame is there, I, I deal with it like I do with indigestion. Oh, that's uncomfortable, but it, eventually it'll go away if I just don't think about it. And I dismiss the idea. Rather than say what I think God wants to do is to bring us to a place maybe more measured, may I see, even say more rational, <laughs> in our boldness, micro-boldness, to say, you know what, just in the life that I've already been given to live, not in some far-out, exaggerated scenario, but just in my life, as I walk through my life, can I look for opportunities to be more bold, to have my eyes open, and to see those, seize those opportunities when they come? And again, we have the example with Peter and John in this story. You know, Peter did not wake up that morning thinking to himself, you know, I'm going to preach to a whole crowd of people today. That's what I'm going to go do. Nor did he wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to march right down to those leaders and those authorities, and I'm going to boldly tell them to their face the truth about what they did and the resurrection of Jesus, and I'm going to be persecuted today. He did not wake up deciding to do that. He was just going about his normal, ordinary rhythms. It's 3 o'clock, the time for... For the evening sacrifice at the temple, we go up, we say our prayers. 
And on that day, he encountered one person, one man for whom the power and the goodness of Jesus could change his life that day. And yes, there was boldness. In that moment, Peter sensed and recognized the impulse from the Holy Spirit. He obeyed. He extended his hand, and out of that small boldness came a miracle. Out of that miracle came a crowd. And to that crowd, he proclaimed a message, and thousands were saved. And from that crowd, yes, then came the persecution at the hands of the authorities and the leaders, but none of that was Peter's plan. All he did was wake up that day and say, how can I be faithful in the life that God has given me to live? And with one encounter, with one person who could use the transforming power of the love of Jesus, all the rest happened. And what if the same might be true for us? Micro-boldness. A couple months back, actually it was the summertime, I was up in northern Michigan for a wedding. Steve and Jana were doing the music, and so their family and our family was at breakfast that morning. And the waitress was there, and we got to chatting, and as, as we were talking, the waitress just shared that she had five children. She said, from a mixed marriage. You know, like, yeah, I know that's less than ideal. But instead of responding with any kind of judgment or whatever, we, we just said, wow, you're a mom. Good for you. And I said, I, I think that's one of the most important jobs in the world. And she was visibly moved by that, encouraged. So when she came back at the end, I felt just that little extra boldness to just do a very simple thing and say, you know what, I think what you're doing right now is so important. We at this table would love to pray for you. Can we just pray for you? And she said, yeah, of course. And so we prayed for her, and she was blessed. And afterwards she said, are you, are you all from like a church or something? We said, yeah. She said, can I come to it? I said, probably not. It's like six hours away. <laughs> if only it had been six minutes away, she might be sitting here today. But it's those small steps, those micro boldnesses. And to help us in this, look in your bulletin right now. There's actually a little uh, pamphlet that our comm team has put together. Two acronyms, Frank and Bless. Uh, developed by our friend Rick Richardson, who is uh, eager and excited to help resurrection grow in our evangelism. So turn to the Frank side. This is a helpful acronym for you to open your eyes to see the people in your life who are not walking with Jesus. Friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, co-workers. Just the other day, uh, Pastor Will sent a bunch of us a text. He said, hey, my neighbor is starting a pizza place out in West Chicago. Everybody go there, buy pizza, and offer to pray for him. It's his neighbor. Just saying, hey, let's, let's, this is just a small act of micro-boldness. So what you can do with this is, is write down names of people in this category, and even if you had just one person in each category, wouldn't that be awesome that you could start praying for and let's say there's genuinely no one in a category. Right now, this is one, one thing that I, I'd like to see different someday, but of, of my close friends, I don't have a close friend. I, I have relatives, acquaintances, all the rest I do. That category is empty for me right now, friends. Somebody that I would genuinely call a friend and would call me a friend. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pray and say, Jesus, would you bring even one person to be a friend who's not walking with you? And even if on all of these categories you walk away with just one name total at all, 
one name that you're praying for, that would be a step in the right direction. Now, if you flip it over, the acronym BLESS. Begin with prayer, listen, eat together, serve, and share the story. So as we begin with prayer, it's taking the list from the Frank side and praying for those people, praying God's blessing in their lives, praying in that intercessory, in-the-closet place, but also, I, I love this one. This is one of my favorites. The B is my favorite. It's not just praying in, in secret, but it's also like I did with the waitress in Michigan. When the opportunity arises just to say, can I pray for you? And I tell you what, 19 times out of 20, people are really receptive to being prayed for. Someday ask me about the one time out of 20. I've got a great story there. It does happen. When, when we listen, we're ministering God's love in a way that is so powerful. So many people today are not listened to ever in their lives. We eat together. This is Father Matt's favorite letter on the acronym. He's always talking about food. He's, he's happy to invite himself over to somebody else's house. Do as Matt does. <laughs> serve. Look for opportunities, small ways that you can serve. Or that somebody can serve you. So you got a flat tire. You're really embarrassed that you don't know how to change a flat tire. Your neighbor knows about cars. You go to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know how to change a tire. But you do. Can you help me change a tire? Wow, that show of humility, that show of I, I need from you, that opens things up. So look for ways to serve others or be served. And then finally, share the story. Share your story of what God has done for you, but also share the story of what Jesus has done for the world. And it's not complicated. In our gospel reading today, we already have everything we need. Do you remember what it is? We talk about the cross, talk about the resurrection, and then repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's, that's it. That's the beginning. That's the seed of, of the good news right there. Share what God has done for you. And oftentimes, if in your testimony, you can tell about a time when you needed the ministry of forgiveness, when you goofed up in a big way, and how you received that forgiveness, that other person is going to open up and say, well, okay, actually, let me tell you about something. And as we conclude here, what, what is motivating us? Again, it's not pressure. It's not shame. What's motivating us? Why are we doing this? Because we're supposed to? Because that's what good Christians do? Because if you don't, eventually the leadership will come to a point where we do start shaming you because we're just fed up? No. For the same reasons that the apostle said in chapter 4, verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So one of the best things you can do for your witness about Jesus, about his power and his goodness, is for you and for us together to continue to seek Jesus, to seek his peace, to seek his healing, to seek his grace and mercy in our weaknesses. And yes, to never give up on the journey of transformation so that we can say to others, I can't help but tell you what I've seen, what I've heard, what I myself have experienced. So shall we pray and ask God for the boldness to proclaim what God has done in Jesus Christ? Let's do that. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, 
check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.